Thank you so much, Scott. We uh, love to hear you sing, man. Hey, would you grab your Bibles and turn to Job chapter number 25? I want to welcome in our center worshipers across the street that are joining us and also those that are going to be streaming live with us today. As you know, the digital age uh, over these last several months has made its presence felt. I have a sneaky suspicion that it's not going away. In fact, Southern Baptists across the world are learning what it is to experience worship in their pajamas. And many of them are not wanting to turn loose of it. But uh, I know people will be returning to their church families, and we are so thankful that we've been able to have that technology here in our church to be able to provide that for worshipers. Job's an interesting book, isn't it? Uh, I've been a little bit taken back by the people in our fellowship that uh, really don't know a whole lot about Job. I think some believe that Job is kind of an Old Testament historical narrative that doesn't have a lot to deliver. And can I just suggest to you that the book of Job has about as much punch and as much to say about the challenges that you and I face in everyday life as any book in the Bible. Can I illustrate that for you? Yesterday, I walked into a home of one of our members that they had just been told the day before, you now are proclaimed terminally ill. We think you might live six months, but there's a real good chance you're going to live a much shorter time than that. And after we got through with a little crying and hugging, corona style, one of the individuals in that home looked at me and they said, you know, Pastor, just like you talked about last week, Here's some stuff happening in our life. Yeah, there's some stuff happening, all right. A diagnosis of death. And you know, that's what I found for these last five or six weeks as we've walked through this book. God led me here to the book of Job. He led me here, not I don't think so much just in time of pandemic and crisis, but he led us here to teach us some valuable lessons. And I would suggest to you today that you and I, over these next 34 minutes and 28 seconds, have an opportunity. You make that choice today. You can grab your Bible, and I think there's going to be some nuggets today that we pull out of these verses that are going to be outstanding. Or you can drift off into, which I did so many years of my church life, la-la land in the pew daydreaming, wandering, mentally. So I just want to challenge you today. Today we're going to talk about a subject that all of us understand, all of us connect with. Those moments in our life when we don't think God either hears us or he's not answering, the phone's ringing but no one's picking up, those moments when there's total silence, and we just, you and I don't know how to react to that. It's a challenge for us. And man, God is going to bring it up in technicolor for us today so that we can look at the life of one man several thousand years ago that walked through this moment in his life and we're able to experience it with him. But most importantly, we're able to take some lessons from that moment. 
Now, we're going to begin reading those first six or seven verses there, the entire chapter in Job chapter 25. I just want to catch you up. A number of you have not been able to walk along with us in this series. We know that Job has lost his fortune and his family. Now, that's no small item losing Job's children. Ten of them have died. He's lost livestock in his home. He's lost his health. And all of a sudden, Job has these three friends that show up in his life, and they began having a series of dialogues. Three of them, three friends, each of those three friends share three different times. So really, there's nine sets of dialogue between three friends times three times, and, and we come to the end of that dialogue set today. And Bildad is speaking. Let's grab our Bibles and read that together. Here is what Bildad says in the 25th chapter of the book of Job. Now remember the premise that these friends are bringing. Job, you're not nearly as pious and holy as you think you are. You've got some hidden, concealed sin, and that's why God has infected your skin with this terrible disease. That's why he's taking your children away from you. That's why he's taken all of your fame, all of your fortune, all of your family, and it's all been ripped from you. And Job, if you'll just listen to us, you need to have a revival in your life. If you'll repent of your sin, Job, maybe, just maybe, God won't give you what you really deserve. And the whole time, Job's been defending himself. Guys, certainly, I haven't been perfect. I'm not sinless, but I've been seeking after God in a blameless way, trying to live by his rule and his righteousness. And he's been defending himself. And here's what Bildad, which we've nicknamed him Bildad the Brutal, says in Job chapter 25. Look in verse 1. Then Bildad the Shuite replied, Dominion and all belong to God. He establishes order in the heights of heaven. Can his forces be numbered? On whom does the light not rise? How then can a mortal be righteous before God? How can one born of a woman be pure? If even the moon is not bright and the stars are not pure in his eyes, how much less a mortal who is but a maggot, a worm, if you will, of a human being who's only a worm. Wow. Man, these friends have been absolutely brutal. And you, you know, Bildad makes two very important points here, doesn't he? Bildad, for instance, extols the greatness of God. He says, here's, Job, this whole issue with you in your life is that God is so great and then the second thing we see that Bildad does is he emphasizes the nothingness of man. Here you stand before God, Job. You're like a nothing. You're like a maggot, a worm. And here's this great God. And in the midst of that, we see of these three friends the shortest speech in the entire book of Job that any of the friends make. I mean, I mean did you notice? Only six verses of what we call verses in length and that's all Bildad at this moment has to say. And you and I are going to be privileged to now hear Job's final words in the book of Job. Job's going to be speaking his last words. And you say, wait, pastor, I'm looking here on the sermon outline and this only goes through chapter 31 and there's many more chapters left. You mean Job's not going to have another word to say? Absolutely not. These are Job's final words. 
In fact, grab your Bible there with me and look at his last reply. Turn over to chapter 31 and would you just scroll down to verse number 40 just quickly. We're, we're coming back, but just, just quickly. Man, I love to hear those pages turn. Thank you for bringing a paper Bible. That's amazing. That's the bomb. That's retro. That's cool. Chapter 31 and verse 40. Do you see this statement? The Bible says the words of Job are what? They're ended. There it is when you come into this section of scripture that we're looking at today, chapters 25 through 31, we see the bookends here. The final friend speaks of these three times three, these nine dialogues, and now Job's about to speak his final words, even with absolute certainty when the Bible says the words of Job, they're closed, they're ended, that's it. It says if Job is going to come to this moment at the end of our message today and say, hey, I've said all I've got to say. I mentioned a moment ago about how rich the book of Job is. Can I give you an extra today? not in the outline that I want you to hear from my heart. How should Job have responded to these friends? How do you and I respond to the critic? Boy, if there's anything a Baptist preacher can speak about, it's the critic. Just like today, I've got people upset in our church. They think that we're headed in a one-world government. They think Corona was placed here and it's drawing us in and they are, they are convinced in this conspiracy theory that that's where we're headed. I've got others that are upset with me today because we have taken too liberal of a policy. We're meeting today and we shouldn't. We're putting everybody here in great peril and great danger, maybe to the point of your death. And then there's all the rest of us sitting here today somewhere in the middle, Amen. But, you know, how should Job have handled this? How should somebody on the cheer line at school who's been criticizing you, that tells you how rotten you are, how sorry you are, how do you handle at a bunco game, at a domino game every month over here at Luby's when someone starts getting critical of you? We know something has happened we know that Job and his friends have come to an impasse. They have entrenched in their position saying, Job, you're rotten, you're a sinner, and you're trying to conceal it from God. And man, he's putting a whoop on your head. And we know Job has entrenched in his position nine times now of saying, that's not true. I'm not perfect, but I've been, I've been a righteous man. And so can I just toss this out as an extra? Could it have been that maybe Job would have been better off not responding at all? We know that these friends, these friends' formula is not correct. What they're saying is not right. And I just wonder, think about it with me for a moment, if Job really would have been better off not responding at all. Someone said, don't try to vindicate yourself. Your friends don't need it and your enemies won't believe it. I want you to do something with me. Go back to chapter 16 in your Bible, quickly. You're not turning fast enough. You've got to listen faster and turn faster. Job chapter 16, and look in verse 19. 
I want you to look at this observation that Job has already made. Job 16, 19. Look at Job's words. Even now my witness is in what? Is in heaven. My advocate is on high. You see what Job said in Job 16, 19? He said, you know what? I have an advocate. I have a, a Lord in heaven and he's gonna take care of all of this for me. I have a witness in heaven. Your record is on high, Lord. And I just wonder if time and truth will not eventually vindicate us. Just a thought. Now quickly, with your outline, that out of the way, I want you to go with me, and we've got to travel quickly, at three looks that Job takes. As Job is going to wind up his responses, I want you to jot these down with me. They're very important. Over chapters 29, 30, and 31, and we're going to be boogieing through these passages. You better look quickly. I want you to look at these looks that Job takes. Job's trying to cope with his tragedy. He's doing the best he can in this mess. He's hurting. He thinks he's about to die. And so first of all, we see in chapter number 29, Job is going to look backwards. Write that down. Job is going to look backwards. And as he looks backwards in history, he's going to see memories. There are going to be memories that he's going to see. Let's look together in the 29th chapter, beginning in verse 2. Here's what Job says. Remember, we're leading up to Job's final words in the book of Job. How long, how I long for the months gone by, for the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone on my head, and by his light I walked through darkness. Now we know immediately as a reader in verse number two in that 29th chapter, we see immediately, we see where Job's looking. He's looking back. He's looking back at the good old days. I hear that all the time. <laughs> well, I wish we could go back to the good old days. When people start that, when they start that stuff with me, I say, yeah, there used to be some good old days, didn't they? Yeah, we ought to go back. Yeah, we ought to go back to those days with no air conditioning. We ought to go back to those days when you walked to school 10 miles in the snow with no shoes. Someone said this about the good old days. They said the good old days really, the good old days, what they really are is a combination. They're a combination of a bad memory and a good imagination. And maybe that's a good way of putting it. You and I both know that the good old days, the past is fine as a rudder to guide us, but it's a total failure serving as a sail to propel us forward. We know that the good old days might be okay as a launching pad, but they're a terrible parking lot. And so with that in mind, let's stroll down memory lane with old Job. Jot this down. If he's going to stroll down memory lane, first of all, in terms of his past happiness. Write that down and read with me verse number four. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's, God's intimate friendship blessed my house. Look in verse five. When the Almighty was still with me and my children were around me. Man, he's yearning back for those days. He misses his kids. Look in verse six. When my path was drenched with cream. That's an interesting way of describing the past. My path was drenched with cream. 
and the rock poured out for me streams of olive oil. That may not mean a lot to us, but oil was such an important necessity in this Middle East culture. It was hard to get. You had to go through the press. It was hard to, to get and get your hands on it, manufacture it, if you will, and produce it and get it into your home where you could use it. And he's talking about, hey, the olive oil just flows. It's so readily available. He's talking about his past happiness. But there's a second thing he's going to highlight, and that's his past honor. Write that down, past honor. Verse 7, when I went to the city, the gate of the city, we know that was the courthouse. That's where all the elders of the city, they took care of property transactions. They had trials there. That was where you went to have any kind of act of business is at the city gates. And, they, and he says, and took my seat in a public square. I was somebody. I was, one of the, I was one of the elders of my community, he's saying. Look in verse 8. The young men saw me and they stepped aside. And the old men, they rose to their feet. He's talking about his past honor. Look down in verse 13. He also highlights here in memory lane the past help that he gave those around him, those that he helped in some form or fashion. Look in verse 13. The one who was dying blessed me, and I made the widow's heart sing. Wow, what a statement. Job said, man, when I think about the past days, man, I had the opportunity to, to be a blessing to many people, including a number of widows. And when I would leave and I would put a blessing in their life or do something for them, man, their hearts fluttered and sang. It was a great moment. But he also highlights here in memory lane his home. Jot that down, his home. Verse 18, I thought I will die in my own house. He said, you know, there's a time before all this, this scourge came upon me. I thought, you know what? I'm gonna, one day I'm going to die right here on the Job Ranch. Right here in the middle of all my kids, my grandkids. Right here in the middle of all the things that God's blessed me with. I'm going to die right here. I bet they're going to put my remains up on a hill there. Put a big marker. He went on to say in verse 18, As my days, they're numerous as the grains of sand. You know, it was a day he said, man, I was healthy. I thought I was going to live much longer. And he's thinking back about what his home life was at one point. Can I just stop here and just suggest to you, so important, so important in tragedy when you and I have difficulties, so often it's our nature to go back to the past. That's just, that's our, that's our comfort zone. We go back and think of things before this happened to us before the diagnosis, before the broken marriage, before the financial problems. We go back in, 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 in a time in church life to when days were better, days were more enriched and more fulfilling. And somehow, many of us go back to those places and we camp out there and we live there. Certainly, that's not a bad place to go back and visit in the midst of the beginning of a tragedy, but we've got to be able to learn to go forward from the past. You and I have got to come to that place. We understand we can't live backwards. Life has got to be lived forward. It's so important that we learn to let go of the past. Job, he looked backwards. Now jot this second thing down and let's change chapters. Let's go to chapter 30. 
I want you to see now Job's going to look outward. He's going to look outward. And as Job looks outward, we're going to see, he begins to see some miseries. He is going to see some miseries. Look in chapter number 30 in your Bible. Let's just pick up in verse 1. But now, do you see those two words in your Bible? Chapter 30, verse 1. They start out with those two words. But now. Job is going to go from the past to the present. He's going to now start looking around him outwardly. Immediately, the writer of Job lays up right here before us. We start to see how his whole perspective is changing from past to present. He goes on to say in verse 1, he says, But now they mock me, men younger than I, whose fathers I would have disdained to put up with my sheepdogs. He says, you know, the strangest thing is I look around my present circumstances, people that were nobodies, people that, you, that they weren't even on the radar in terms of society. Now these people look at me and they scoff. They look down at me. They bring disdain on my name. Job says, can you believe that? Job's struggling with his pain and his affliction. Look down in verse number eight. He says, a base of nameless brood. He said, these, these people are, are nameless people that, that, that are bringing this disdain on me. They were driven out of the land. He said, these, these people weren't even property owners. They were squatters. They were renters. They didn't have, who were they? And Job says, all of a sudden, I've taken such a deep fall with my health and my fame and my fortune and my family. Now, the nobodies of life laugh and scoff at me. I live, he's saying, in the lowest of the low of the world. He's thinking in this moment of where he is, how far that he's fallen. Look in verse number nine. And now those young men mock me in song. They even make up little songs and ditties about me. I found out something about our staff the other day. I didn't really know this, but they kind of have a little thing they say about me. Can you believe that? One of them let it slip the other day. It wasn't Jerry Gann, but one of them said this, Pastor, here's what we say about you, especially when you're in a bad mood. Don't poke the bear. I said, are you serious? That's what people say. That's what they say. Don't poke the bear. I went home and tried that with my wife. We were going to have a few little harsh words there. And I said, oh, don't poke the bear. And she looked at me and she said, I'll poke whatever I want. <laughs> so I, it may work with the staff, but it has not worked with Becky. I want you to know that. What's he looking at? He's looking at outward past experiences. You see that? And he feels abandoned. This is so important. Look in verse 19. We've got to hurry. Look in verse 19. He throws me into the mud. Now notice how he's talking about God. Do you see that? He's talking about God, Lance. About God. Look at it in verse 19. He throws me into the mud. And I am reduced to dust and ashes. We know how we've got this pictured. The scriptures tell us that 
much of this time he's sitting in this old ash heap mourning where you would throw dust on you like the morning of death. He doesn't smell good. He's not hygienically acceptable. We've already heard Job talk earlier in this book about his breath. His own family doesn't want to be around him. His wife, the one that's left, wants him to ridicule the God that he's trying to follow. Man, this guy's in a world of hurt. But he's talking about God. But now notice how this changes the next verse in verse 20. Interesting. He says, I cry out to you. Oh, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. First person. Now he's talking to God. Look at that. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up and you merely look at me. Oh, Job. He's looked backwards. Old Job, he's looking outward, and he sees these miseries. But jot this down, finally, Job looks upward. I want you to see this. This is important. Verse 31, we know this is where Job's going to utter his final words recorded for us in this book of Job. Job's going to be through speaking now. We've already looked at the end of this chapter in that final verse, in verse 40, where Job says, I've spoken my last words. I've made my case. No other words. I've said everything there is to be said, but let's look as Job looks upward, he's going to see there's certain mysteries. He's going to see certain mysteries. Now, here's where I want you to zone in with me for just a moment. There's two big mysteries of life that Job is going to show us. Can I just offer up to you? I don't know when I'll be showing up at your home, maybe especially, I hope it'll be good news. But so often when I show up, it's not good news. That's why I love those moments. Somebody say, hey, Pastor, everything's fine. Come on by for some pie. Woohoo! I love those moments. But usually when my phone rings, it's not good news. It's like the ambulance driver. When they call him, it's usually, hey, somebody's feeling great. Go by. No, there's usually some need. Two things that Job introduces us to First of all, Job is going to show us about how you and I are going to be struggling in our lives with unrewarded piety. Now listen to me. Unrewarded piety is when we live righteously, we live for the Lord, and then seemingly in life we're not rewarded for it. It's, it's the question, why do bad things happen to the good people? And here's this old scoundrel over here. Man, he's, he, he's living the worst sinless life. I mean, a sinful life you can imagine. And man, he just seems to be doing well, making money, hand over fist. He's healthy. And then here's this man or here's this woman or here's this student over here. Man, they're just trying to live for the Lord. And it seems like, man, they just stay beaten down. And one travail, one trouble, one difficulty after another. And, and Job's going to explore that. Job brings his own life. He says, let me ask you some questions, God. Let me ask you some, some questions, community, friends. Look at it. We'll just walk through it quickly. He's going to try to demonstrate his life of holiness. In other words, here's the buzzword in our community, in our day and time, 2020, accountability check. How accountable are we? in our walk with God. Look in verse 1. He says in chapter 31, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at young women. 
Boy, that just reminds us how very important it is that we protect what we see and what we ingest with our minds. Job said, just how spiritual am I? He says, I made a covenant a long time ago. I'm not going to get in the trap of looking at a young woman and lusting. Wow, what a statement. Look in verse 2. For what is our lot from God above, our heritage from the Almighty on high? Look down in verse number 5. I don't have time to show you all these, but there are a ton of these if I have statements. You see one of them in verse 5. You see the phrase, if I have? That's used over and over by Job. Not enough time to look at them all, but here's one in verse 5. He says, if I have walked with falsehood, in other words, if I've been a liar or my foot has hurried after deceit, if I've been a schemer trying to deceitfully put people in an awkward position with my deceit, he's saying what? I haven't been a part of these. Look down in verse 9. He talks about the fact that he's not committed adultery. If my heart has been enticed by a woman or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door. Wow. By the way, it's interesting what he says down here in verse number 12 about adultery. Look at it. It is a fire that burns to destruction. Fire is a act that burns to destruction. Verse 13, how have I treated those around me? He says in verse 13, if I have denied justice to any of my servants, whether male or female, when they have a grievance against me, he says, man, I've tried to treat everybody, my servants, my workers, my employees. I mean, I've tried to treat them well. Looking down in verse number 16, how's he treated the poor? He says, if I've denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, he says, I haven't done that. I've been nothing but generous to people. I've tried to help people. Look down in verse 24, one of the big challenges we have in the year 2020. He talks about materialism. He says in verse 24, if I have put my trust in gold or said to, uh, to pure gold, you are my security. He says, even though God's given me all these things, he said, I've never worshiped them. They're things, they're not my Lord. Look in verse number 25. If I have ever rejoiced over my great wealth, the fortune of my hands had gained. He's saying there's no joy there. Look in verse 26. He says he's avoided paganism. Accountability check. Hey, Job, I know what you've been doing. You've been out there worshiping that moon god. You've been, you've been worshiping these pagan gods, fertility gods, sun gods, sex gods. We know what you've been doing. And Job says, wait, 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 wait. Now, verse 26, I have regarded the sun with its radiance and the moon and its moving splendor. But again, he says, I've not worshiped them. I did not worship creation rather than the creator. I've worshiped God himself. Look down in verse 29. If I have ever rejoiced at my enemy's misfortune or gloated... Boy, you talk about a fact check. Hey, Job, how have you done with your enemies? People that talked about one of your kids. People that told falsehoods about you. 
I bet you wanted ill will on them. And look at what he said in verse 29. He says, no, no, I've never gloated over the trouble that they've had or things that have come to them. He says, I've never done that. I've only wanted the best for them. Wow. And look in verse 33. The catch-all, the catch-alls. If I have concealed a sin, he said, you know what? No way for me to list everything, but he says, I just want you to know there's no concealed sin in my heart by hiding my guilt in my heart. He says, I I haven't done that. Would you look back with me and just let me summarize this section of unrewarded piety in verse 4? Verse 4, if we look back, is really the central, I mean, the central summary statement of all this. Does he not see my ways and count my every step? God, do you not see what's going on? I'm one of the good guys, God. Not perfect. But I've tried to be faithful. I served on the budget and finance committee when I didn't want to. I fell for Josh Thomas's trick, sad eyes. I joined the choir. God, I love you so much, I even worked in summer vacation Bible school. I've been a member here since 1957. And of all the people to get cancer, of all the people to have seven back surgeries, of all the people to lose their jobs, of all the people that didn't make cheerleader line, of all the sophomores that didn't make the varsity, God, there's just no righteousness in that. Unrewarded piety. Boy, that's a challenge for us, isn't it? But I want you to see the big, the big driver that Job brings to us. He brings to us also the problem with unanswered prayers. Unanswered prayers. Look in verse 35. We wrap up. Listen to what God's word says. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. God, you're not listening to me. Oh, if I just had a God right now that would listen to me. He says, I sign now my defense. We know that during this day and time, often, just as the Lord Jesus had a sign placed above his head on the cross, we know that typically something someone was charged or convicted with was put in writing. They could put it around their neck. They could attach it to a shoulder. They could put it on a cross. They could put it over prison bars. But often, whatever you were convicted of or charged with, they would let people in the community know, hey, theft. Hey, DWI. Hey, whatever it might be. And Job is just saying here, oh, that someone would hear me. I sign my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let the accuser put his indictment in writing. Job's saying, I want to see what you've got. I want to see the goods you've got on me. Verse 36, surely I would wear it on my shoulder. He said, I wouldn't try to hide it somewhere. He said, I'd put that where everybody could see it to see what an untruth it is. I would put it on like a crown. 
Now, Joe, be careful. You're getting wound up here. Now, listen to where we go. And we're going to pick up with this next week. Verse 37. Job, I don't know if you should have said this. Job says, when it comes to God, he says, I'm going to give him an account of every step. And he says, I will present to him as a ruler, as a, some of you have this translation, as a prince. He says, if God will just make himself seen and known right here before me, he says, I'm going to strut around like a prince. Ooh, Job. Be careful what you're saying. The problem with the unanswered prayer. Hello, God, are you there? Can you hear me? Are you listening to me, God? Quickly, let's wrap up with these three statements and then a bonus as we walk out. Three things I want you to jot down to understand about this moment and more importantly about our lives. Number one, you and I have got to draw all the strength that we can from the past and then turn loose of it. Let's get everything we can from the past and then let's turn loose of that. We can't live there. We can't change things there. We can't alter anything there. That's fixed in time and space. That's an eternity past. That's done. Second thing, you and I need to come to grips with our present circumstances. I mean come to grips with it. We do not need to live in denial we need to what? We need to accept where we are. And then number three, we need to keep looking up, keep talking to God, because God is always listening. Would you just fold your Bible up for a moment and just look at me? Don't grab your keys, your umbrella, your mask. I want you in these next three minutes to just zone in on me. Nothing around, just total focus for these three minutes. You and I have got to come to grips with something. Our God is always near. Even when we don't hear him, he's always near. You and I have got to understand something that's very important. You and I have got to come to the understanding that our Bible tells us you and I have got to wait on the Lord. Our Bible's filled with that. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. One time David in his great pain shared in Psalm 27, 14, he says, out of the very depths of his heart, he says, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Sometimes in the midst of God's, what we perceive as his silence, we need to be aware that really what we're doing is not entering into a period of God being silent, but we're entering into a period where we are what? Having to wait on the Lord. I want to remind you that our God is always near. Our God's always near. I love what James said over in James chapter 4 and verse 8. He says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And I just want to remind you in these moments of silence, listen, so very important that we see silence is really just a matter of perspective. God has spoken. God has spoken. 
His word never ceases. God has spoken. He's not silent. In fact, our Bible tells us that what the very creation cries out of his existence and the glory that he has. Do you remember what the, the, the psalmist said in Psalm 19.1? The, the heavens shout God's glory. So oftentimes, just like Job, we don't understand that in the end, God is going to have an extra measure for us. When all the dust settles, we don't understand that it's in so often God's mysterious ways. Yesterday, I made a phone call. God, God has placed some incredible senior adults in the life of Becky Cook and myself. I mean, it didn't matter where we've ever pastored. God has just put some, I mean, some incredible seniors. One of those ladies phoned me yesterday. She was so excited. Hadn't seen her in years. And she just said, Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike, I, I thought about you today. Something's happened to me great. And I said, you won the lottery. She says, you know Baptists don't do that. And I said, Miss Joyce, what in the world has happened? Because for the last four years, Miss Joyce has been homebound, not because she's been homebound, but because her husband physically has been homebound. Every day. Now in their 80s, Miss Joyce gets up. If you've ever pictured a grandmother, little short, beautiful lady, white hair, looks like Mrs. Claus. I mean, she looks like the perfect grandmother. And she said, you know, I, I hardly get out. You know I have to take care of my hubby. And she said, so today I ran over to the store. And she said, I was so excited she said, because for the first time since COVID-19, I found sanitary gloves. And she says, you know, I use a ton of those. The health professionals that come into our house, they use a ton of these gloves. You got to have those things. We have to handle some things that, well, it's just safer if you have gloves. And she said, Pastor Mike, about April, I started running out. I couldn't find gloves in this pandemic. She said, so I started using a dishwasher and trying to wash them in the dishwasher. And she said, I was so excited today. I walked up and there in this store, they had boxes of gloves and they had them in my size. And she says, then as I reached out to start grabbing some boxes, she said, I looked up and I saw a sign. Only one box. She said, Pastor Mike, 50 gloves only last us about four or five days. She said, I, I started thinking about that dishwasher and trying to clean those gloves the last two and a half months. She said, so I put three boxes in my buggy. She said, when I went to the register, she said, I began to tell the lady at the register, ma'am, I know it said just one box. But my husband, he, he's in bad health, and I, I need these gloves desperately. I've been trying to run old gloves through the dishwasher. And the lady, she said, was very nice. She said, Pastor Mike, that, that girl was so nice, but she said, ma'am, I'm sorry. But just one box, one. 
So Miss Joyce said she took my box and the other boxes and put them behind the counter and I got my box and she said, I asked her to wrap it in a separate bag. And I, she said, I took my bags and I got out to the car. She said, all the way out to the car, Pastor Mike. She said, I was just, I was, it was going through my mind. You know, I know that's up there for hoarding people. I, I heard how people did with toilet paper. She said, that's not right. But she said, Pastor Mike, I knew in my heart, I had a big need here. And she said, it was a heartbreak for me. And she said, then I got mad. She said, before I even got my car door open, my trunk open, she said, then I got mad. Thought, man, there's no justice in this. I'm gonna have to keep on using that old dishwasher after four days. She said, I, I loaded up those things, put them in my trunk, and I walked around, got in my car. She said, I was digging in my purse trying to find my key, and she said, I was embarrassed because I, I forgot I only need my key. I'm supposed to push the button. And she said, all of a sudden, somebody started tapping at my door window there. She said, it kind of scared me because they pulled the door. And she said, there was an older lady standing there. She said, Pastor Mike, I think she was an angel. I said, Miss Joyce, what happened? She said, Pastor Mike, that lady reached down and out of a bag, she pulled a box of 50 more gloves. And she said, ma'am, I saw you. I was behind you in that line. And she said, I heard the heartbreaking story that you shared that young lady at the register. And she said, so when I came up to pay, I said, I need a box of those gloves. Will you get me one of those box of gloves? And she said, ma'am, I'm so moved. I want you to have this extra 50 gloves. And Miss Joyce said, I just didn't know what to say, Pastor Mike. So she said, I started digging through my purse. She said, I'm going to pay you. Those are expensive. They're a lot of money. And the lady said, oh, no, ma'am. Oh, no, ma'am. This is something I want to do for you and for your husband. And on the way back to her house, Miss Joyce just couldn't wait. She called her daughter and she called her old pastor and said, Pastor Mike, can you believe it? And I said, Miss Joyce, you just gave me what I want to end my sermon with tomorrow. I said, Miss Joyce, isn't it amazing how God, in his mysterious ways, in moments of silence and frustration in our lives, how so often God answers in just the right moment, in just the right way, and almost always it's an unexpected way. And so as I knelt and prayed over a precious lady yesterday that medical professionals said there's not much hope, just a few days left, just ask God with everything in me. God, I don't know how you might orchestrate this, but would you might maybe just leave her with us a little longer than they told us that she'd be here? I know I shouldn't ask God. And maybe there'll be a period of days and weeks of silence, but I'm gonna keep trusting him. And so today, I want you to be encouraged. Our God is always near. Silence is but yet perspective. And I just remind you again and again, you and I are called to wait on the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these few moments we've had in your word. You have been such a gracious God to instruct us in the teaching of your word. Father, thank you for the book of Job. Maybe one of the 
maybe the oldest book, one of the oldest books in the Bible. And Father, I'm just thankful that we have this account of Job, a living man, that we're able to walk through these powerful, hard-hitting moments. And Father, maybe there's someone here today that at least in their mind, in their heart, they perceive that you've been silent. They've been asking you to answer a prayer. They've been asking you to resolve a situation. They've been asking you to help them overcome a health issue. And seemingly, you've been still. You've been quiet. You've only whispered. And they need you to shout into the heart, into their heart today. And Father, whatever response you choose, we must yield to that because you are our God. And if we're to be faithful followers, we must be faithful and true in the hard times and in the days of bounty and blessing. In the days of health and in the days when health falters. In the days of birth and in the days of death. In the days that we just can't feel you there let us know as we're doing everything we can to draw near to you that you're there with us. Thank you for leaving the power of your word that never is silenced. Your holy word is always there. So Father, at any moment, we can turn to you. We love you and we worship you. Father, we take a moment to pray for our nation today, for our leaders we pray for health. We pray for civil unrest, racial tensions. We pray for these other countries outside of America. We pray for their health. Be with them. We pray for men that are a long way in space. Father, we pray for their protection today. Father, in these moments when we continue to worship and we stand to our feet, let us sing with joy in our hearts, knowing that you are God and you're always near. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.